Hello, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to all listeners of the CPHI monthly podcast. I'm Gareth Carpenter, Pharma Editor at Informer Markets, and in this month's session, we're going to take a look at decentralised clinical trials. Not only does the transfer of clinical trials more and more away from investigator sites and into volunteers' homes offer a more patient-centric approach and reduce the burden on caregivers, it also offers up great opportunities for the industry to capture more data. And as the world adjusts to the reality of a prolonged global pandemic and the difficulties of asking volunteers to make physical visits to sites, never has decentralising clinical trials become such a pertinent issue. So, with me today, I'm very happy to say that I'm joined by Fabian Dufres and Deepu Joseph from clinical research organisation Quanticate. Fabian is the Vice President of Account Management and is responsible for overseeing key strategic accounts and previously held positions at GlaxoSmithKline, Unilever and the UK Government before joining Quanticate in 2015. And Deepu is currently serving as Vice President and Global Head of Clinical Data Management at Quanticate and has over 15 years of experience in managing and driving clinical data management operations delivery across major CROs. Fabian and Deepu, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you, Gareth. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. So, gentlemen, to begin with, the public perception of a clinical trial is very much a study done in a controlled environment, the investigator site, usually a clinic or medical institution in which volunteers are required to visit and where medical professionals carry out all the testing, taking samples, collecting the data, etc., So when we talk about decentralising clinical trials, it seems to be an entirely different approach, a kind of transformational philosophy. So first of all, could you just run us through the different types of decentralised trial and how they differ from the traditional model? And maybe I could address that to you first of all, Deepu. It's a paradigm shift, I would say, that we are kind of looking forward to when it comes to conducting clinical trials in the neo-decentralised model. Traditionally, we have sites there who does the patient management activities in terms of receiving patients at the sites and taking them to the trial procedures, conducting the tests, etc., and collecting data. Now, all of those aspects, basically, which is controlled at the sites. Now, with the decentralized model, I think it's not a new concept. It's been there from a few years you know, already. Certain components we've been kind of introducing, like there are certain areas like uh, patient dairy information, which patients used to handle themselves when they were at their homes between the visits, right? And then we moved to a phase where paper-based days where they used to enter dairy information. And then then we moved into an electronic patient-reported outcome, e-dairy kind of a setup where patients started kind of accessing you know, platforms which they can use to provide data directly into the platforms, you know, electronically. So there has been certain areas like that in terms of uh, patient and patient directly involving with the study management activities without the oversight of sites. Now we are talking about this pandemic and, you know, kind of hit wall where travel restrictions were a problem. There were, you know, I know about patients who used to travel 60 miles for a study visit. And then that study possibly had about 20 visits. That means the patient had to travel 1,200 miles. So overall, I think when you talk about the patient centricity, these technologies now we use 
to interact with the patients directly at the comfort of their homes, you know, making them sit at their convenience to participate in the trial. And they are patients, basically, and that helps in terms of risks to infections while traveling, coming to the hospitals and interacting with many people. So all of those are taken care of. And all those aspects in terms of taking the patient engagement, continuity, adherence, and completion of the study. You know, many of the studies we lost to follow up because patients are not able to travel to site. We don't get to interact with them over a period of time and all those kind of things could be solved with this new technology intervention and moving into this kind of a mode. So it is obviously, we are talking about two different types here. There are less interventions happening, you know, like dermatology-related therapeutic area studies. Those are less interventional. So we can even look at 100% decentralized, where, you know, we don't need the patient to be coming to the site at all, you know, where the e-consenting process, the recruitment process, the screening process, everything can happen using technology while patients sit at their homes. But we also have certain trials, which is more deeper in interventions in terms of the procedures required, et cetera, so where there could be a hybrid model where patients can come to site for certain visits, but not for all visits, et cetera. You know, those different models, we can definitely try it out. And it's all about patient centricity these days. And we've been talking about it for a few years, Gareth, but the movement was very slow. Now, I think the pandemic situation is forcing us to do more on those front. I understand this point that it's about reducing the burden for the patient. Are there any other potential benefits more from the angle of, you know, making things easier for the industry, um, Fabian? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of areas one can look at in terms of that. I mean, certainly the idea behind decentralised trials is really trying to diminish some of the burden of the cost of traditional methods. So I think one should always remember the primary goal of medical is to make clinical trial participation as easy as possible so they can continue with their day-to-day lives with minimal disruption. So I think this should help with participation in terms of recruitment, in terms of retention, should be much greater than that. And it should overall provide a little bit more greater control and convenience and comfort for the participants. And I think we're always becoming a lot more centralized to the needs of the patients, as well as from the industry. The industry, of course, has always been burdened by a lot of patients having to travel on great distances, Deepu pointed out, a lot of Participants have to sort of come out because of ill health. Most trials are unable to retain enough patients. So I think moving to this more decentralized sort of or hybrid format, as pointed out by Deepu, I think will help the industry a great deal. And not least of which is is the amount of data one can actually gather is going to be hugely different to before. As ourselves as a data-focused CRO, we're already experiencing quite an increase in the use of things like variables. So we've got a huge amount of data pool coming in. So I think for the industry, it's a win-win situation. And hopefully for the patient as well, it will be a win-win situation. But I think it will take some time to move to fully decentralized. I think there will be a lot of sort of hybrid type models which will come into effect. But I think the industry will slowly but surely move to that model because the benefits far outweigh the current way of working. Okay, so I assume when you're talking about the data collection being greater, I guess that's because you're not confined by the duration of a clinic visit. You know, you can collect data 24 hours a day, potentially. Well, exactly. I mean, there is, for example, we were working recently on a, on a program which was measuring the amount of itch that a particular patient may have experiencing. And one's able to do that through a wearable device over the entire night of them sleeping to sort of track the amount of itching we would do. Now, historically, or at the moment, one would more likely have to go into a sleep clinic to do things like that. So having the patient back at home, 
being able to sort of live a relatively normal life while as a company, you know, you're collecting a huge amount more data with which to put into the overall submission program. Gentlemen, as you know, wholesale change never usually comes without a few obstacles and barriers to overcome. (laughs) In your eyes, what are the main challenges to successful decentralized trial design? If I can ask you that one, Deepu. Yes, I think this is definitely a new thing, obviously. We are taking participation from patients directly as well as the site staff to some extent with where there is hybrid models and you know things where we work towards collecting data without having paper source, etc. So there is a lot of processes which we need technology intervention more than ever, you know, and which needs to be even accepted and uh, it should be easy for patients also to be involved with. So for me, the first thing is the technology, the challenge. And I think different trials, different therapeutic area, the requirements would be different. And I think we would not have one technology resolving all these problems or all these things. Actually, we need to really identify the right technology need for the right development process, basically. So that is a challenge. Obviously, when we have multiple technology available, you know, interoperability, you know, integrations between these technologies, you know, bringing all data together real time. All of these things are challenges we need to see. And another aspect of it from a regulatory side is that we definitely have all these data being collected. Now, all the data privacy requirements directly collecting from patients, how are we ensuring we're collecting only the data which is required for the research purposes? And from the data that we are collecting, some data needs to go into the patient's normal healthcare records and processes. How are we ensuring that flow happens? So all of those things from a regulatory side on the data side is very important for us to understand. And that's where I think data-focused approach from Conticate kind of organizations where we can really look at how we can put processes in place to ensure all these things are happening, making it more visible, transparent for patients and regulators to make sure that these challenges are overcome in conjunction with the requirements of all the policies across the world. Fabian, any other challenges that you... Oh, I I think that, you know, one could have quite a large list of challenges associated Mm. with moving from one format to another. But I think some of the issues are things like the organisational side of it, because the clinical institutions have got to have trained personnel and the right organisations to carry out what would be revised protocols. So the use of smart technologies needs trained personnel. So that's one area in terms of the overall organisation. And I think one must always recall the accessibility so that technology must be easy to use, must be intuitive to learn, because it must, if possible, sit as closely and as mirror the lives of patients as much as possible. So try and fit seamlessly into the patient's daily routines and maybe use devices that they're more familiar with. So rather than necessarily give them a device to use, you may be able to give them an app to use on their current sort of pad that they're used to using. That brings it to me to the simplicity that would be required. You must keep the tasks for the patients as simple as possible. If it's too complex, it's going to cause stress. It might impact the integrity of results and obviously would increase chances of error. So from the simplicity is also the reliability of it. So the tools and processes really do need to be thoroughly tested and that you're aware of any pitfalls that require any mitigation prior to actually release of of the study. So this, as Deepa was saying, fits into somewhat to the regulatory side of it. 
so that one can ensure that everyone's in a seamless sort of process at the moment. Going back to the idea of what the average person on the street might think about all this, I mean, if you were to stop that average person on the street and tell them that more and more clinical trials are are moving away from physical clinical sites and being done more remotely, it's likely that the first concern they would raise would be around the safety of the patient. And they'd probably ask things like, well, how do you ensure that it's all being done correctly? The volunteers taking the right dosage, everything's safe, um, the results you're getting are accurate. So how does the industry allay concerns like that and communicate them? That's a fair concern. And I think when we have a change like this happening, you know, that's part of the change management also. And I think industry is pretty much prepared in terms of how we look at that aspect, especially from a safety perspective for very complex or, you know, interventional trials. There is a process of kind of getting local medical support available, which is accessible to the patient, you know, as part of the overall conduct of the study. More than that, from a data perspective, you know, it's important to see that we are going to be receiving data more real time than before in this kind of setup. Otherwise, if you look at the traditional way, this data comes in when patients come to the sites and give that information. So during the time when they are not available in the site, the data is not there. So having data with us on time, like wearables and other things that Fabian was trying to point out, all of these things gives information real time. It gives us the potential to analyze on a real-time perspective, analyze trends, understand the safety concerns, and respond back accordingly. So I think from a data perspective, patients are more consistently monitored than the traditional model. And all the other interventional clinical safety aspects in terms of this is kind of covered by you know, supporting them with local medical support available, accessible to them, and having sites visiting them when it comes to specific requirements, et cetera. So all of those things are kind of looked at from a patient safety perspective. And the reality of the pharma industry is that if you want to get anything meaningful accomplished, there's a very good chance that to do so, you first of all have to get it approved by a regulatory authority. And Deepu, you've already touched on regulation. Um, Gentlemen, what are the regulatory implications companies really need to consider when conducting trial activities outside of a physical study site? And if I can direct that to you, Fabian, first. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think there are a number of areas need to look at. I mean, certainly for us, for example, we've recently introduced a remote data verification tool that allows us to sort of really follow what's going on at the trials without necessarily having to visit the sites. So this allows us really to really follow up directly on sites without having to visit them so directly. So for the regulatory side, there are a number of sort of things that need to be sort of followed about. GDPR is the classic one. Certainly within the countries themselves, there are national emergency measures in place over COVID, for example. But certainly for us, the remote monitoring tool we're implementing, there are different regulatory viewpoints to that. The FDA, for example, is somewhat more simple in terms of its view on this, where if you have on-site monitoring visits are no longer possible because of the COVID situation, then you should consider using central remote monitoring programs to maintain that oversight of the clinical trials. The EMEA is a little bit more difficult because it's trying to have the consensus from 24 different countries. And so there's a little less agreement within that. And some are more advanced than others in terms of allowing for remote monitoring. 
you know, we have to be blunt here, the regulatory guidance documents that directly address decentralized trials have really yet to be developed in full. So I think we're going to have to go in parallel with the regulatory authorities, keep them fully informed of what's going on on a continuous basis, which is what we do for ours, and to make sure, of course, that they're all sort of compliant with all the regulatory requirements as they stand at the moment. We're being told that this traditionally conservative and risk-averse farmer industry is undergoing a digital transformation, not least because of, you know, you mentioned before the, the huge amounts of medical data at the industry's disposal these days. It's, it's becoming ever larger. You've already talked about the smart digital technology, wearable devices, etc. But I just wonder if you just give us a bit more, you know, colour on what kind of digital technology is being utilised to collect and assess clinical data remotely. Deepu, if you could answer that one, please. Definitely, Gareth, yeah. I, some time back, I mentioned about going to patients directly. And I think that's where technology is being used. And I said, we can't have one technology to solve all these requirements. One of the major concerns every clinical trial organization have is about enrollment of patients from that perspective itself. You know, there was a lot of news around Apple's uh, research kit, uh, which connects uh, patients with the appropriate trials. Starting from there, there are other platforms which help clinical trial researchers to recruit patients, e-recruitment. Now, once they are recruited, there are platforms which help investigators to screen patients using televisits technology, you know, seeing the patients directly, collecting the data directly from them, you know, e-screening platforms. One of the key important things from a regulatory perspective is around e-consenting, right? The informed consent processes is very important from a clinical trial perspective. So how do we do it when patients are away from the sites? You know, so these platforms, which we have currently, which Quanticate is very much closely associated with some of the tech players where we are working, these help seamless flow of information to and from the patients and investigator to see each other associate, you know, these platforms associates themselves with the televisit kind of an option where patients can see the investigator, talk to them, all the documentation which the patient needs to refer, you know, as part of the consenting process is available for them for more time than ever because it is there in the platform. They can log in and see that information, talk to the investigator if there are doubts. They can take that information to you know their family and, and, and check with them or other physicians who can check with them. So much more capability on a patient side to be more informed before giving the consenting process when this is done this way. There are also measurements which we need to collect from a treatment perspective on outcomes. We call it as patient-reported outcomes. So these are collected using technology again, you know, we call it as ePro. So ePro solutions help patients provide information based on how they are feeling, you know, have they had headache in the last two hours? You know, those kind of inf information can be collected. Were they able to, for example, muscular dystrophy patients, they may have to check whether they were able to take six steps in a day, you know, continuously. So all those information they can provide directly in the ePros. Wearable technologies, I think Fabian mentioned about that before. The Apple Watch collects a lot of information. There are Fitbit trials. If you look at the US FDA website, you can see at least 500 trials, which is conducted on Fitbits. So there are technologies like that even help collecting information for tests. Spirometry is an example. There is an app which connects a particular pipe to help collect that uh, spirometry information, that uh, lung function information directly into the app and that flows in into the technology. 
uh, which we use to collect information from directly. So, uh, so all of those things are different technologies. And there are sometimes where sites, as I said some time back, the requirement for sites to go to the patients directly. Traditionally, if that had to happen, data was collected in paper. Now they can directly collect it uh, in any source uh, technology. You know, using tablets, they can collect it offline, etc. That helps in all remote and of underdeveloped countries where the site has to travel to remote areas where the patients are available in, and no connectivity is available there. So they take the e-source technology there, sit with the patient, collect the information, do the tests, and put the information there offline. And then comes back once they have access to the Wi-Fi, connects back to the server, and we get the data immediately. So those help paper processes and elimination a lot from that perspective. So all of these information, all of these kind of interventions of technology helps us to do things more faster, get real-time data, and which helps us to really arrive at conclusions much more faster than before. So it's really opening up a world of opportunities. Finally, gentlemen, what I'd like to understand is whether decentralized clinical trials are essentially the start of the journey to an almost like a brave new world of virtual clinical trials conducted in a 100% remote environment where cutting edge technology is utilized to the max. In the context of the world having to come to terms with this new reality of pandemic management as well. And do you think that traditional clinical trials as we know them are going to become a thing of the past? And if that is the case, what will the clinical trial of the future look like? If I could ask that to you first, Fabian. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's inevitable we're going to be moving down that road. I don't think it's going to be a straightforward transition from traditional through to all of a sudden everything's decentralized. Certain trials, for example, if you have to take sort of, you know, size of the tumor, you may need to go into a site to be able to do that with the, with the huge technology required from those machines. So it's not always going to be at home end of story. The key challenge, I think, is to take the patient through the journey with you so that they're very happy with it, understand fully you know, as Deepu said, things like informed consent to make sure they're really happy with what's going on with their data. We can do that online, but it's very important they get brought through on that process as well. So I think as we move forward, I think people are becoming more and more used to doing that. I think even now a lot of GP consultations can be done online. You have to do an awful lot of sort of, you know, work on your computer before you even get to see the doctor nowadays to some extent. And I think that sort of trend will continue and the technology supporting that will just get better and better and easier and easier to use. So I think it's inevitable we'll move along those roads. We do need to bring the patient along with us on a very careful basis. And likewise, the regulatory side needs to keep step with that. Regulations are always a little bit behind to some extent because they have to wait for all the information to be there before they can really make their decision on what to advise. But I think it's inevitable we will be moving down to a much more centralized area and I think patients will come more used to that and, and actually find it a real benefit for them because they won't have to travel so much. They will still have the opportunity through things like telemedicine, as, as Deepu said, to have interaction with your clinician. And the data itself will allow you to sort of check if things are going well, which perhaps you may have to wait until the next visit to be able to explain that. So there are definite advantages both to the patient and to the clinician. So I think it's inevitable that clinical trials will move to more decentralized format. Deepu, do you have anything to add on you know, what the future looks like for clinical trials? 17 years before, when I started Mercuria, we were 
largely 99 or 98 percent of the studies were in paper. You know, we used to collect data in paper. Mm-hmm. CRFs used to come from different sites in Europe to, or US to India in two months. And if we have a clarification, we send a paper again back to the site in France or in the US, and then we get back the resolution after two months, you know. After 2005, when we started seeing more EDC, where we started collecting data directly, you know, electronically from the sites, it was a complete change, you know. Right now, we see maybe 98% of EDC studies in less than 2% or even less than 1% of paper studies, you know. So why it happened was it, it increased convenience. It actually been a lot of difference in terms of how fast we could conduct you know, a query on a data issue, which took two months, is getting resolved in minutes today. You know, so that's a change that we saw. And I think this is the next level game here where patients are going to be more comfortable, convenient. And I think in the strong scientific approach towards finding a cure, I think somewhere I think we have actually ignored or kind of less focused uh, we were on understanding the convenience and comfort of patients and i think that's what we are actually going in that direction and that will bring a lot of participation from patients as rightly mentioned by fabian more participation more good data we're going to get more data means more good assessment and more the better treatment available to you know people in the market you know much more faster than before so that's the trend which we're going to see. I think definitely we're going to be seeing more and more of decentralized components. I'm not saying that 100% will be the norm. It will be hybrid methodologies uh, largely. And wherever possible, there will be fully decentralized models. And also, there will be certain procedures which may not be feasible to be done and may have to follow the traditional because we still have a couple of studies running in paper now also, you know, for certain reasons, basically. So such conditions would still be existing, but I think there'll be a complete turnover in terms of how we would conduct clinical trials going forward. Yeah, I mean, certainly as we are a data-focused CRO, we're very much supporting this move to decentralized trials. I mean, our remote source data verification tool really helps in that communication, the tracking and verification of the data, allowing few site visits. So that hybrid model, I think, is already coming into play. And, And certainly as, you know, especially during the pandemic, it's been very good. But I think, you know, we will as a company continue to support this move to fully decentralised trials moving forward. That wraps up this month's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And please do head to cphi-online.com for lots more news, features and analysis on the latest developments impacting the global pharmaceutical supply chain. Our next podcast in the series focuses on pharmaceuticals in the environment and will be coming to you soon. In the meantime, goodbye and enjoy the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.